Would you join me in your Bibles to John chapter 3 and verse 16? John chapter 3 and verse 16. We begin a new series today through the Gospel of John that I've entitled, Come and See. Now, I've entitled it that because, number one, that's what the Gospel is. It is a presentation of good news about the person and the ministry and the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. Um, but it is also unique to the Gospel of John that this, this come and see invitation is given several times throughout the Gospel. And so I like the, uh, the come and see invitation nature of the series. Uh, the Gospel of John is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It is different than the other synoptic Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke probably did a lot of their research uh, reading each other's work following each other's timelines, and focusing most of their uh, writing about Jesus' ministry up north. John is different. Uh, you've heard the, the Gospels are like four witnesses to an accident, uh, each with a different perspective. Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of talked about their perspective before they were asked about it. Uh, John has a very unique and very different perspective he focuses most of his writing on Jesus' southern ministry, not the northern Galilee ministry. And uh, his intention is really to present to us the deity of Jesus Christ. But John, being the disciple that Jesus loved, this is a very warm, a very affectionate presentation of uh, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so I love it. Uh, I love how it's laid out. I love how John presents Jesus to us. Now, you probably know more about the book than you realize. In John chapter 1, it begins kind of like the book of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. Uh, then it, it comes down and it says, uh, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten, or the only Son, sent from the Father. Uh, chapter 2 is the wedding in Canaan which is a part that makes Presbyterians really happy because Jesus turned water into wine. Uh, chapter 3, Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. Chapter 4, his interaction with the woman at the well. Uh, chapters uh, uh, 10, the great Good Shepherd passage, where Jesus says, I'm the Good Shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. Uh, chapter 11, he raises Nicodemus. Chapter 15, he's the vine, we're the branches. Uh, if you abide in me... Uh, chapter 17, probably my favorite chapter in this book, John recounts Jesus' high priestly prayer where he prays for us, asking the Father to restore the glory that he had with him before the world began, since he has now accomplished the work that the Father has given him to do by granting eternal life to those that the Father has given him. And then he prays for us. Guys, John 17, Jesus prays for you. And uh, he prays that you'll be kept from the evil one. He prays that we'll be unified. It's just a beautiful presentation and something that I would encourage you to read often. Uh, John 21, Peter has denied the Lord. And the Lord approaches Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Asks him three times. And then after each answer, he says, feed my sheep. It's just a beautiful book. And I'm excited to be going into it. But it's also an important book for us, I think, in our tumultuous times. Uh, number one, to glean the truths uh, from the book about who Jesus is as the Son of God, um, but also to remember that this is what unites us. 
Uh, the gospel presentation uh, is a great reconciler and uniter among mankind because it is about God's reconciliation of us to himself. And so I'm excited to go through it, and today we're going to start in John chapter 3 and verse 16. So let me read it for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now here's what I want to do. I want to stop. I want to go through it again, but I want all the children to say it. All right, so children, follow along with me. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Praise the Lord for that verse. It is one of our favorite verses as the people of God. And I think the lesson today is going to be very simple. Come and see what God's love has provided for you. I think that's at the heart of John's writing. Come and see what God's love has provided for you. And I think the first thing to look at in the text is that God, the gospel, the good news that Jesus taught, that Jesus preached, that he presented, and Jesus is very disciplined in his presentation. The gospel is about God's love for sinners. The gospel is about God's love for sinners. Now, where do I get that from the text? Well, I, I find it in the word world, and I'll tell you why. John uses the word world in his writings, both in the gospel and in his letters, and he has about five different meanings to the word world. So he could say the word world and be referencing the universe, everything that God created. Uh, he could be referencing the specific planet that we live on, the world. Or he could be referencing the system of mankind, the organized governments and systems of mankind that are that are in opposition, that are organized in opposition against God. We usually think of the word worldly in that, in that sense. Um, someone is worldly or they're part of the world. Um, don't love the world, John says. Um, he's referencing the opposition or the, the group that's in opposition to God. Um, don't be conformed to the world, Paul says. He's using that not about the planet. He's using that about the system that is in opposition, that's organized in opposition against the Lord. Sometimes the word world is used to dispel differences, so that uh, if you're talking to a Jewish person who thinks, you know, in the, in the New Testament, that God only or, or maybe favors the Jewish people, someone could say, well, God loves the world, and that kind of negates their specialness. God loves Jews and Gentiles. And so the world can be referencing to all people. It can also reference sinners. It can be used in an ethical sense, and it can reference sinners. So God loves sinners. And I think that's what John is doing in the text. Because there isn't this Jew-Gentile distinction that's being made in the text. But if you look at the text itself, uh, John chapter 3, and what does verse 16 say? For God did not send his Son into the world, to condemn the world, but that the in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes is not condemned. The context is his discussion with Nicodemus about being born from above and then the need for this new birth. And that certainly is an ethical thing. And then 
in chapter uh, 3 and verse 17, he talks about those who are condemned. And so the issue in the text is an ethical one. And so I think John is saying, for God so loved sinners. Now, why is that important? Well, because that's the only kind of people there are. And I think that's an important point that Jesus is making, that John is recorded and presenting to us. That we are all sinners. And folks, this is a fundamental pillar of the gospel. It is a fundamental teaching of the scriptures. That there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This was one of Paul's major points in Romans 1 through 3 to undermine the self-righteousness, let me say it this way, to undermine the moral high ground that people had tried to put themselves on and to say there is no moral high ground among humanity. We are all sinners. And I think in our current cultural climate and political climate, it is so critical for us to remember, to hear the scripture tell us we are all sinners. We're all trying to get high ground right now. We're all trying to justify ourselves in the middle of a very bitter debate and a very harsh or hard, painful discussion. People are claiming high ground. Politicians are using current situations to try and gain political power. Politicians refuse to, to offer their humility and say they should have done it. I mean, just think of how our politicians have talked about how they've done with the coronavirus. No one wants to admit any failure or any guilt. Everyone's trying to blame everyone else and gain the moral high ground. This is what's destroying our nation. This is what's destroys what destroys communities and what destroys homes. It's for people to try and say, I'm not guilty. I'm not a sinner. One of the beautiful teachings of Jesus and of the gospel is that we are all sinners. And that's the very people God loves. Uh, this gives us great hope. Paul in Romans 4 says God justifies the ungodly because that's the only kind of people there are. And so as we start this invitation to come and see, God loves those who stand condemned. That's the context. People who are condemned because they are ethically sinners. They're evil. And those are the very people that God loves. God loves sinners. And folks, as we view our neighbors and as we view ourselves, if we have a distorted view of ourselves, God, and others, and we don't start with this fundamental teaching of the Scripture that we are sinners, we will never be able to experience reconciliation in our world. God loves sinners, and that's what the gospel is about. So as you take the invitation to come and see Jesus, hear him say, you are a sinner, but friend, God loves you, and God loves sinners. The second thing that's, that's uh, helpful in this verse is that the gospel is about God's greatest gift to us, and that is Jesus. Uh, this opens up. Uh, in the gospel, in chapter 1, where, uh, where John records, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son, notice the next words, from the Father. 
Jesus in his ministry is going to continue to make this connection that the Father is the one who has sent him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep. John 17, Father, glorify me. I've accomplished the work that you sent me, that you gave me to do. Everything that we see in the person and the life of Jesus is willed by the intent of the Father. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He took action. He sent his son. He commissioned his son and sent him to come and to deliver us from our sin. The gospel is about this great gift from the Father. And I would encourage you as you read the gospel, and I hope you will read it this week, just take a couple days and get through it and highlight every time Jesus says, the Father. Jesus is so determined to communicate to his audience that the Father has initiated his ministry, that the Father is the one who sent him, that the Father is the one who is pleased with him, that the Father is the one who will raise him in the last days. These are important messages from Christ that cement the teaching that God loves sinners and that God the Father sent his Son to deliver us from our sin. Jesus is the greatest gift that, uh, that the Father uh, has given us. Throughout the gospel, he insists that he was sent by his Father, and it is the desire of the Son to glorify the Father and to bring you to him. And folks, this is the message that we have for the world. This is the message that we have for our brothers and sisters who are in pain right now because one of their community has been unrighteously killed. This is our message to the rioters in the streets. The Father loves sinners. The Father loves sinners. And he sent his Son to rescue you from that sin, to unite you to him, to bring you into reconciliation, into a relationship with him, so that you can know the love of God. Thirdly, the gospel is an invitation to come and see. It's an invitation. This is why John writes in John 20 and verse 30 and 31. John 20 and verse 30 and 31. Now, I love it when the author kind of tells us why he wrote his, his, his letter. And John is no different. He's, he lays it out. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? So that, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. So that Jesus, you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is why John writes the book. He invites you to come and see Jesus, the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He's presenting that to you so that you will, you will believe, that you will receive and believe in Jesus as the Savior. And what's unique in the Gospel of John, John 1, 39, verse 46, John 4, 29, and I could list others. I've just listed the first few that you're going to encounter as you read through the Gospel. What's interesting is these, 
these words, come and see. When Jesus first meets his disciples and begins to recruit them, they say, uh, you know, where are you sleeping? He says, well, come and see. And they say, uh, well, show us the Father. And he says, well, come and see. Uh, this is a constant refrain that Jesus is inviting people to come and see. Even the disciples in, in John 1.46 kind of use this or bring this out. Uh, Philip is, uh, is recruiting his brother in chapter 1, and Nathaniel, um, and, and Philip says uh, to Nathaniel, come and see. Come and find out. Um, come and investigate. And then you see there in, in John 4, in verse 29, uh, they marvel that they are, that Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. And she goes and she tells her friends and neighbors about a man who knew everything about her. And, they, and she says, I think he's the Christ. And she says to them, come and see a man. Now, it's a beautiful invitation, but, but John is wise and skillful in his presentation. He's not saying this randomly. His intent is that you would uh, see Jesus, that you would believe in Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God. And so throughout the book, he lays out these little, these little phrases throughout the stories, and he says, come and see, come and see, come and see. And so the gospel really is an invitation. It's an invitation for you to explore and examine the person and the work of Jesus to believe that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And so some quick applications. Number one, and, and I'd like you to consider this. I'd like you to take some time to think about this truth. How does God's love for sinners affect your own personal identity? This is a foundational truth of the gospel that we are sinners. How has that affected your identity? How has it affected how you view yourself in light of everything that is going on in the world? You say, well, there's rioters and looters. And, and do you think that you're not, that, that you're above that? Because maybe if it was you or your family, you'd want blood too. Now, I'm not saying it's right. It's definitely wrong. It's a violation of the law. It is lawlessness. But folks, we're sinners too. How, how has the fact that we are sinners shaped our identity to help us engage the people in our world, the protesters that are right here on Roswell Road and Johnson Ferry. How has it reshaped us to be empathetic, to be compassionate, and to be merciful and engage with good news, the good news of Jesus? Has that truth shaped you? Secondly, how have you applied God's love for sinners to others? How have you applied that for others? When you look at other people, are they sinners? And if so, what does that mean? What does that mean about, uh, about your loved ones? What does that mean about the people in the streets? What does that mean about evil police officers? What does that mean? That God loves sinners. What does that mean of people of different backgrounds, different socioeconomic classes, different races. What does that mean? It is a fundamental teaching that affects every relationship we have. And if we have a distorted view of ourselves, God, and others, then we will not be able to experience the freedom of the gospel and the liberation that Christ offers. And we, we, we have not done the work of applying this truth to ourselves and to other people. 
So how have you applied God's love for sinners to others? You're willing to go talk to a protester before curfew, I'm sure. <laughs> Are we willing to engage people with the love that God has for them? And then will you accept Jesus's invitation to come and see? Will you accept the invitation of this gospel and of our Lord to say, come and investigate? Maybe you're new to the Christian faith. Maybe you're investigating what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you've just fallen on our Sunday service by happenstance or because someone shared it with you. We have these books called Life Issue Books. I would love to send you one if you will just email me. You can find my email on the website. But I'd love to send you these books and, and do some online meetings with you and let you explore Jesus on your own by reading the Gospel of John and just interacting with me on it. But if you accepted the invitation to investigate Jesus, to come and see, and I would say to my, my believing brothers and sisters, if you, I, I would still encourage you to accept that invitation. Because we're going to be on a little journey as we go through this gospel to see the love of God for sinners in the face of Jesus Christ. And I assure you, you need to see that love. And so finally, will you extend Jesus' offer to come and see to others? We have, in these moments in our culture, a great opportunity to model the love of God for sinners by extending the offer of grace to our neighbors by inviting them to come and see a better way, by inviting them to come and see the God who loves them and calls them to know him, invites them to know him. Would you consider making that offer this week to the people around you? Father, bless us as we study your word, as we look through the Gospel of John into the face of Jesus. Wow us with his glory and his beauty. And uh, Lord, we accept this invitation to come and see and to learn uh, of, of Christ. Bless us as we study in Jesus' name. Amen.